Welcome back to Literary Disco. Um, so if you're just joining us, if you just listened to the first part of our Combine episode, we were joined by three fantastic high school students, um, Aiden, Jada, and Renaissance, who talked about their experiences reading Columbine. Um, they have one other thing in common, which is that they have the same teacher, uh, Rob Bowman, who is a high school English teacher here in the Coachella Valley at La Quinta High School. And uh, Rob was kind enough to get us these fantastic students to read the book. Rob is also a writer on top of everything else, so he brings a little bit of other stuff to the game also. Um, so. I've got a lot of questions for you, Rob, about what it's yeah. like to be a high school English teacher. Um, had you read this book before? Um, no. I, I'm going to bring a couple weird things to my perspective on this. I'm uh, not native, but I grew up in the Denver metro area. Mm. My high school was the rival high school to Columbine. No high school. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Um, I graduated three years before the shooting, mm -hmm. but as a result, I know a significant number of people who were there, oh, who wow. were students at the time, who have scars wow uh literal and metaphorical mm -hmm. and so and i don't want to use anyone's names i don't want to be a tourist in their pain certainly right. but it's being in denver during that time was a very particular experience yeah, yeah. and then it's really something and then on top of that i as a teacher have been directly touched by gun violence in that I've given the eulogy of a student who was killed in gun violence oh my god um Jesus. and on top of that by extraordinarily poor luck. My first position as a teacher was at Gateway High School, and one of my students was killed in the Aurora movie theater. Oh shooters. my God. So I have a far more intimate, uh, for lack of a better word, yeah. relationship with these things than most yeah, would. I guess wow. so. My God. So it's been a, a really odd, and now as a father and as a teacher myself, right. I tend to revisit these themes far more often than I think the average person yeah. would. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. Yeah, yeah. and th yeah. thanks yeah. for picking these, these great students. Yeah. We're also, we, we should say, the best looking students you've ever seen. They're, they're still in the room, ladies and gentlemen. They're going to be leaving in just a second. <laughs> they're all wearing tuxedos and gowns. It's an audio <laughs> medium. No one will know. Um, so so yeah. tell us a little bit. Uh, so w with all that said, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What is it like to walk into a classroom every day? Is it a thing that's in your mind? Like, it's a thing that's in my mind as a yeah. college professor. Um, but when, but I, I feel like I, I know these adults in maybe a different way than you know children. I don't know. So what's it like just walking into a school? It, it comes in waves. There are days that are really bleak mm -hmm. and that are really like, and, it's, and this is not something that's unique to teaching or to my experience. We have so large a malaise, I think, right now in general. Mm. The news is always so grim. Everything's so bad. And I have a recurring thing of how am I going to face my students and tell them there are good things, right. there are things worth looking forward right. to, and by God, we're going to bootstrap this shit together. We're going to make the world a better place. Right. When a lot of the time I'm despairing of, well, we're just all fucked. <laughs> and yeah. there's, there's nothing else to it. You know, and I am you know, building on a colla on collapsing ground. Right. And I don't in my heart, I don't intellectually nor in my heart fully believe that. Mm -hmm. But there are always days where I'm like, oh, but what am I doing? Yeah. yeah. What are we right. doing here? I'm better off building a bunker and having my two boys with me right. there since I've got two kids that I'm sending off to their school. Right. Uh, my oldest son is in kindergarten now, and I think of Sandy Hook regularly. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and the terror of those moments. I think about in my classroom, and my students who you just spoke to uh, alluded to this briefly, the safety measures for my actual classroom are very poor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even the bare minimum things of having working blinds so no one could see into the room, mm -hmm. I, I don't have working blinds. Oh, man. So I've taped posters onto my windows. That's, I mean, it's, it's crazy that this is a thing that you have to think about, right? That's like, just it. Why is this what I'm spending my time right. on? Right. Yeah. And in terms of just the students themselves, um, you know, there's all this talk, you know, post-Parkland about mm -hmm. arming teachers and teachers mm -hmm. have to be, you know, the, the first line of defense and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, you're trying to get through to students just as a teacher to them, but yeah. obviously you're going to encounter students that you have concerns about, um, mm -hmm. kids that are exhibiting antisocial behavior, things like that. Yeah. Um, how much of your mental space is occupied by looking after that? Uh, it's, it's not that my mental space is occupied by it so much as my alarms, my, my sensors are always on for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when those things arise, I am three alarm fire concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's always kind of in the background. It's in the, in the periphery of my, peripheral of my thoughts. Um, I had a student in my second year teaching who I am convinced in my heart, and I, I am prone to hyperbole, but this is not one. <laughs> this kid's a sociopath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is an honest-to-God, hates-people sociopath. He did everything he could to be repulsive and repugnant to those around him. He was a good-looking kid who made a conscious choice to be less attractive because of how it would bother people. He stopped brushing his teeth. Mm -hmm. He stopped bathing. Oh, wow. He did, and he would tell you these mm -hmm. things. And he would just aggressively like when people suffered. Hmm. And there was nothing I could do with that kid. Mm -hmm. And I tried. I was second year. I had a lot of spirit and hope. Piss and yeah. vinegar in me. <laughs> a lot of joie de vie. A lot of, oh, captain, my captain. I was, I was watching Robin Williams movies, Stand and Deliver. I was really, I went full uh, Michelle Pfeiffer on him. I had the tight jeans and the leather jacket. <laughs> Let's just let's talk more about me dressing as Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, um, I would like it's a, it's a look. It's really it's a whole face. Um, but you know, I had a lot of spirit, and there was nothing that would reach this kid. Right, like, nothing would. So instead, it became oh, that kid's the time bomb that we all got to look out for. What's going to set him off? Whether it means he's going to be set off in the high school, mm -hmm. or he's going to do something terrible to a spouse or to a child or what. But that kid's damaged. Right. Because I have met thousands of kids and I have good rapport with kids by and large so I've I've gotten to know wonderful students who are amazing and ones who seem truly dangerous mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was a really I was really fascinated mm -hmm. to rereading Columbine the, the section where they discuss uh Dylan's story that he wrote um mm -hmm. because yeah. it was like yeah and I went and reread that and, too and Rob teaches creative yeah. writing so it yeah. was really interesting because I was really like divided about how I felt about that in some ways because like on one hand mm -hmm. I'm like a complete creative purist right write whatever you want like we should not be censored we sure. should be able to explore weird dark places and I'm like and so a part of me was like wait a minute like why is this teacher calling it out but then on the other hand you're like because he was a school shooter like this was exactly the right, <laughs> right. time to call something right. out right. and it also was striking that they did the right thing right like I mean they brought it to she mm -hmm. brought it to like three different people it was like the parents and then the school counselor and the, and it's like everybody sort of said eh uh and i feel like that's another cultural shift nowadays i don't think anybody would be that lax about a teacher sort of raising the alarm bell 
Um, but maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. What do you think, Rob? No, I, I think you're right. That once a teacher brought it forward, I don't think they'd be lax on the alarm bell. I, I think you're exactly right. What's a little different in it is it's not as automatic that the teacher would necessarily report something like that. Because there's a lot of nuances yeah. involved. Right. Because there's the kid who's writing the outrageous story because they just want to offend you. They just want to get a rise out of the right. teacher. Right. Like, I wrote about blood. Right. Isn't that fucked up? And you're like, well, not really. Right. <laughs> you know, I've read that story. <laughs> you know, every kid ends a story with a suicide, not because they're suicidal, but because they don't know how to end a story. <laughs> you know, they're not very good writers. Oh, that, this was the biggest. I remember every film school, like, short film is oh, yeah. always about a guy with a bottle of Jack Daniels and a gun in his mouth. It was like, it just because oh, you realize, like, you're the like, first person to ever read Bukowski. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The hell with them. So, oh, have you guys heard of this Jodorowsky guy? He's so far out. Fuck right. you. So, um, <laughs> why am I so mad? Um, He's got a lot of rage. So much rage. But then, so the thing I tell kids, like, when they're creative writing is, if you can justify something ugly in the story, you can write it. Because I don't want to curb yeah. their creativity, just like right. you're saying. But they have to justify it in their work. Right. And when the kid's writing things that aren't justifiable, because if they can, like, oh, this is an intelligent thing, here's a story I want to tell, I'm not worried about that kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about the kid who has excessive, ugly fantasies that are clearly mm-hmm. not justified by anything. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I'm worried about the kid who, when we're having discussion as creative writers, he makes an offhand misogynistic remark. Right. And doesn't realize that it is. Right. Yeah. That's the kid I'm worried about. You're not worried about the kids who are trying to be deep by addressing the issues of the day. Right. 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 They're yeah. trying on that outfit psychologically, but I don't think it's really who they are. Right. Mm-hmm. right. That's interesting. So after uh, Parkland, um, mm-hmm. what kind of conversation did you have with your students? Or were you, what, were you encouraged by the school to mm-hmm. talk to the students about it? I know... Um, Jada and Renaissance were talking uh, in the, the previous show mm-hmm. about you know being shown the lockdown areas and things like that. Um, what's your role after something like that happens? I, I think I take a very different role than most teachers do on this stuff. And actually, the students may be better talking about this than me in a way. I am very consciously trying to always have conversations with my students in as honest and faithful a way as possible. And I tell them, guys, you know I will tell you the unvarnished truth. And I think as a result, I have really good trust established with my students on this. And I said, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And I do my best not give them too much doom and gloom, but not too much false hope either. Right. You know, this is what it is. The odds of this happening to us are astronomically low. Yeah. I'm far more concerned about them getting hit by a car crossing the street right. than them being shot on campus. Yeah. Campuses relatively are safe. We have a lockdown campus. There's gates. There's very heavy metal doors. They see the glass is bulletproof. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm far more concerned about someone getting into a dangerous, unhealthy relationship with someone right. who then does something terrible to them. Right. That doesn't mean it's not a conversation we should have about violence in schools. We, we certainly should and, and do. The bigger thing to me is to talk about teachers carrying guns, mm-hmm. which is among the more asinine ideas I've ever heard. Yes. And yeah, the I people agree. saying it don't know what it's like armed. in a high school. Yeah. I certainly shouldn't. <laughs> no. And I think I'm a pretty competent person. Mm-hmm. There are teachers, as in any profession, <laughs> who are not competent. <laughs> right. And I don't want them armed. Yeah. No. And, you know, the fact of the matter also is that, that there's, if there's four kids in a classroom who 
want to, they can take you down and That's take just anything it. off of your body. Well, there was an event. This has happened multiple times, but it happened just this year. None of you are in my sixth hour. Sixth hour this year, in the I can see like a, a grassy area outside mm-hmm. my classroom. And did you hear about this? Yeah. yeah. So there was a fight, evidently, outside school. The kids in my classroom, I couldn't see it very well. The door was open because, again, my windows are taped uh, with posters. The kids said, kids over there are fighting. So I leapt over a desk mm-hmm. and ran out and grabbed a kid and I'm pulling him off another. And there's two big kids. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a strong person by any stretch. I'm a rather small, weak man. But <laughs> the adrenaline's going. I managed to pull them apart from one right. another. And I've got one kid down on the, on the ground with my hand on his chest. And I'm screaming at him, don't get up. Right. And if this kid was really eager to do so, he certainly could have gotten on top of me in that. And if I had a gun in my belt as I'm going in, the gun falls out of my belt or the kid takes it from me, there's far worse things going on. Because you are not a Navy SEAL. I'm not. You have a degree in I'm not even an Easter SEAL. (laughs) (laughs) Here's... I feel good about that one. That's a good joke. Thank you. (laughs) Well done. Um... Talking about arming teachers, you know, obviously, like, I'm thinking of all the teachers I've ever had, and they were almost all old women. Mm. Um, <laughs> Which means they were probably well, 27 but, when, they, yeah, when you exactly. were a kid. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, like, I don't feel like I've seen the conversation happen yet of, like, what that would ultimately mean for our entire culture, which is just different mm-hmm. people would go into teaching. Those people right. wouldn't go into teaching. Yeah. You know, and what would our schools become if they were primarily like an anxiety zone of, you know, this like almost defensive arm of the military of like, well, at any point, one of you is going to blow. And that to me is much scarier. Well, it destroys the whole relationship of what it is. I have these honest relationships with my students. We have very forthcoming conversations. If they knew at any moment I had the ability to kill them. Right. Could I have that same trust with them, or would they just be scared of me because I can murder them legally? Right. Yeah. I mean, because that, depending upon what state you're in, you know, essentially if you're in Florida, you could stand your ground and kill a kid anytime you wanted. Yeah. Um, which is which is horrifying. So here's something that I wonder. Um, why isn't Columbine the book being taught in high schools around the country? Could you teach this book? Like, if you went to oh. the administration at your high school and said, I want everyone in my creative writing class to read Columbine. Could you do it? So I'm, I'm trying to think of how to give you an answer that's not steeped in really boring pedagogy and governmental requirements stuff. Right. Because there's, okay, why can't I teach it socially? Mm-hmm. I could definitely make a case for doing it and do it. Um, depending on the school you work in, the department you're in, you could find justification to do it. I couldn't do it because I can't afford a class set of those mm-hmm. to put in my school. I can't do it because it's not on the accepted text that I'm allowed to teach. Mm. Um, I can't do it because it's a 400-page book right. that I don't know when I'd have time. I could do sections of it, maybe. Which would be perfect for Jada. Mm. <laughs> 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 Poor Jada. I'll stand up for Jada. She had so much to do. She mentioned that ASB conference she went to. They had That would have been her prime time of reading. She right. had 72, 72 hours on the weekend of doing school Look, Did she know she was going to be on a national broadcast i think you have a higher opinion of yourself <laughs> yes. than you should on this one. yeah thank you rob thank you rob yes. thank you rob todd consider yourself replaced rob I, rob, oh, rob actually i do have a podcast rob has already. a very good podcast about movies that he does yeah it's cool. me and a former teacher yelling at each other for an hour it's, it's great terrific. fun it's like literary disco but about movies awesome um yeah, pretty much 
So there's all those things that stand up against you. Yeah. Could you, if you wanted to um, teach a chapter, like if you wanted to teach one chapter of this book, could you do it without getting approval? I could. I have quite a bit of leeway in my job. I've, I've built up a lot of trust with my department and with the school. I, patting myself on the back, I have a pretty celebrated record as a teacher. Um, so I could get away with such a thing. Mm -hmm. Could a brand new teacher do it? It'd be more difficult too, but they could probably do it. We can always bring in contemporary things that we feel are important. The bigger question specifically about this book for me is, I don't know I can point to a section and say, teach that one. Right, as a standard. It, it, it was a very hard book for me to read, and I found myself, I didn't read it sequentially, which the structure of the book helped me in mm -hmm. doing that. But because of my personal ties to the situation, I felt I had to jump in and out of it. Right. I, I, couldn't, mm. I couldn't do it in that way. I was so worried about seeing the name of someone I knew. Right. Although I didn't know anyone who, who died in the event, I knew people who, again, were shot, and I, I didn't want to encounter their names in it. Right. It just it, it wasn't something I could kind of... I didn't realize it would be as hard for me to read as it turned out to be. Well, reading it just in general is extraordinarily yeah. difficult. Yeah. If, you, if you're reading it with the sort of personal connection that you yeah. have, um, it's like waiting for a bomb to go off. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like we were talking about... Uh, your brother a moment ago who had a heart condition mm -hmm. rider, but like having this thing that you know is out there that at any moment can affect you in a negative right. way. Um, mm -hmm. And that's hard in literature, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a very so Rob, thing. what, um, what well, are you teaching? What books, um, like what, 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 I mean, I know there's, there's the standard sort of high school text, but what do you enjoy sure. teaching? Maybe that's the, the better question. Like what is the so book that you I've, like teaching right now? The one that I've taught the most times and enjoyed the most would be Slaughterhouse-Five yeah. by Kurt Vonnegut. Mm -hmm. I've got a tattoo dedicated to it. Nice. I've, I've gotten enough dedication from students that four of my former students have tattoos about that book <laughs> that we read together wow. in class. Yeah. It really, wow. my, we really went My Ivanhoe tattoo has not aged well. <laughs> now it just says I ho, as I recall. The wrinkles brought together to say I ho. I ho? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. You are replaced as host. I am replaced as host. Um, it's. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of books I've really enjoyed. I like teaching nonfiction a lot more than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. Teaching a lot of Annie Dillard stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. A lot of, uh, we taught um, uh, uh, Considered the Lobster, David Foster oh, Wallace, right. which yep. I know people tend to fall into fiction or nonfiction on him. I'm definitely nonfiction. Yep. David Foster Wallace is where I tend to fall. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Um, Only way to go. Me too. Mm -hmm. Only yeah. way to go. Yes, See, this is why we all get along. Yeah. Um, I taught Wells Tower, who I love his oh, stuff. Oh, great essayist, yeah. He's so good. So I taught uh, Who Wants to Shoot an Elephant. Mm -hmm. I love his short stories, but I can't find one appropriate for high school to teach. So could you, do you know the essay, The Fourth State of Matter by Joanne Beard? No, I know the name, but I, I haven't read it. So we did, this was a, several years ago, we, we did um, an episode about The Fourth State of Matter by Joanne Beard, which is about a school shooting at mm. the University of Iowa. Um, and then another essay that, um, so she was there for it, and then there's another essay that's um, journalism from a different point of view. And so I'm always interested in, like, this is a the fourth state of matter is an essay that's in the canon of American literature. It's mm. in all these anthologies, but like, what's that social thing with kids? Can you talk about these real life events with violence in a classroom, or is that is that taboo? Um, this this is a very personalized response, so maybe not an yeah. ideal one. Mm -hmm. I talk about pretty much every subject with my students. I do so respectfully. I don't want to overstep what their families wouldn't approve of. But in my syllabus at the beginning of the year, I said, we're going to talk about things. They're mm -hmm. two years away from voting in college. We're, we yeah. need to discuss some big right. ideas. Right. They need to have a conversation without their parents so that they can feel free to express things that maybe they'd be shy about otherwise. Yeah. Right. So I can. 
does that mean, because I wouldn't endorse it necessarily becoming a subject for every classroom. Because right. as in everything, there are those inept teachers who, they're going to make things worse. They're going to make it less comfortable. Right. They're going to have a kid who maybe they need someone to talk to, and that actually scares them off the point. Right. right. So it's, I, I, I love my pr- profession, and I respect other teachers. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm slagging on anyone. But it's a very individualized field that they're trying to make very standard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are some teachers who maybe should go with certain sub- subjects and some who shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I should not teach romantic literature. <laughs> I should not ever teach Jane Austen because I hate every goddamn word of it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. I don't give a shit about rich party problems. Wow, I here don't we go. care. Um, this is what I said, guys. I've said this, a version of this with Jane Austen. We need to read Jane Austen on our podcast, by the way. This is... Yeah. Oh, I will not be guesting. Wow. You know, you think you know somebody, and then Mm -hmm. it turns out that they're a little too proud. (laughs) Or they're a little too prejudiced. I'll take the pride on this one. I'm not going to say I'm prejudiced. (laughs) Good Lord. That's not going to happen. But it's so, the teaching is very specialist. I had, so with the Wells Tower and with the David Foster Wallace and with the Annie Dillard, and uh, we did Richard Sells, or we did a bunch of like real prose stylist mm-hmm. kind of guys yeah. and, and, and women. And I had them do a piece of participatory journalism. We talked about George Plimpton and said, okay, you're going to go do something you would not normally do, and then you're going to write about it. Mm-hmm. That's All cool. three of these students have done that project. Oh, cool. And I said, I would have loved you as my teacher when I was yeah, in high Yep. Uh, you can just we, you can uh, John Cryer hiding out this thing <laughs> and go right in three o'clock high. Yeah, that would be great. Um, no, he was hiding out. It was hiding out, right? Yeah, hiding out. I'm sorry. Jesus. All right. Also, I don't know if you know, but Todd's never been kissed, so oh. he's gotta go in. You do wow. look a lot like Drew Barrymore. I have I have sort of a Drew Barrymore esque vibe. A to vibe. Me. It's, it's the playfulness. Yeah. Um, um, I would like to. I think I could go back in like a Twenty One Jump Street type thing and go infiltrate a high school and be like, "Hey, kids, let's, let's go do drink this. and take some drugs." Please do. What this. do you want to be when you grow up? You want to yeah, listen exactly. to Bismarcky with me, kids? <laughs> How do you guys feel about crime fiction? Hey, I'll tell you what. <laughs> How about you come over to my house and play the Sega Genesis? Oh, you will sound cool then. Yeah, I think I can still pass for high school student. Ryder, you I can pass. So. You can no, definitely do high school. Not anymore. When you first met not me, I probably could have. When I was twenty six, yes. and if I. I shaved. It was like ridiculous. I think, I think if you shaved right now, you could go back. No, to high dude, school. I got I, I got the super white guy wrinkles around the eyes now. It's like <laughs> oh, see, it's a real a thing. Concealer. <laughs> anyway, were anyway. we talking about something with yeah. the paper? So, the the paper they were writing was about going and trying to find a personal experience that was in some way going to help them grow as people. Right. So, uh, for instance, Renaissance. Her paper was she spoke in only French for a week. She was not allowed to speak in English to anyone. (laughs) And I was unceasingly cruel to her that week. Je m'appelle Todd. And (laughs) are you out of phrases soon? Yeah. Uh, Je suis Todd. Fromage (laughs) is coming, I know it. Où est la salle de bain? Ooh, very good. I just asked where the bathroom was. Thank you. Donnez-moi croissant. Oh, my gosh. So, um, but I was actually, like, aggressively mean to her during that. I speak a little bit of French. French. Because she was an outsider. Right. And she was really hurt. She was very upset by it. And then in writing the paper, she realized she was learning about an experience that she would not otherwise have had. Mm-hmm. And she wrote yeah. a brilliant piece for it. I mean, really, really excellent. And they had to use mm-hmm. outside research with all these things, too, in kind of that Wells Tower essay mode. Right. Um, and I don't know. I think they were able to write those papers at the risk of sounding overly proud because we'd built up those relationships. Right. I don't think another teacher could have said, hey, guys, go and do something you're scared shitless of. For me, mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. when it's a teacher they don't like very much. Right. But I, I work really hard at building those relationships. With who, who are the hardest students for you to reach? Like, is there a type that just is resistant to your charms? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> There's plenty who are. There's plenty who are. I, I don't, boy, that did sound real. Wow. Wow, I really sound like I'm leading a cult of personality in there. No, yeah. no, no. I, I mean, kind of I, I didn't mean it that way. I meant like, I mean, it sounds like you're co- approaching this so reasonably and, and open to different types of students. But I'm curious if there's like a type or like, you know, a, a person who just refuses to engage or doesn't, doesn't, you, you can't win over for whatever reason. Yeah. Right. It, it's a very reasonable question. And, and I'm going to give a real hokey Hollywood answer in that. Pretty much every kid, if you are willing to try hard enough, you will find a way to interest them. Nice. If only because they, the ones who are hardest but will come along eventually is they hate English class, they hate school, but I'm clearly a lunatic, and they just want to see what's going to happen next. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because right. I'm a crazy person wandering around, and I'm very surprising to them because I'm crazy. They don't like the subject. They may not like me, but they're at least going to see what's going to happen next in the classroom. Right. So yeah. it's... You know, it's an, and I wonder, and I worry about how this will change as I get older, because right mm-hmm. now I have, I roll up my sleeves and they see the tattoos and like, oh, he's the right. crazy teacher. Right. Eventually, the I'm going to be the guy. old man in front of the room. Right. right. You know, and when right. I'm the old man, are they still going to listen to me? And I really worry about yes. that. Like, they what will. age do I need to retire? Because they will stop thinking I'm interested. Well, when I was in high school, there was absolutely there was no cool young teacher. There was a basketball coach. Mm. who was dating the biology teacher, and then mm. students caught them kissing one time, Ooh. and it was a scandal. But they were just boyfriend-girlfriend. Like, right. Like, they're grown-ups. They're, that yeah, they're grown-ups. Yeah. Like, in my mind, it's like, oh, my God. Can you believe grown-ups kiss? Can you believe kiss? Mr. Burton and Mrs. <laughs> whatever? They were hooking up. No, they they were in a consensual adult Although they were hooking up. That is they were, true. Yeah. Maybe they shouldn't have been well, co- I think hooking up at school. Well, I think seeing teachers... As human is mm-hmm. like right. the key, you know, yeah. and as right. you age, you'll just get human in different ways. I mean, I remember I there was a science teacher in my middle school who was an EMT and just like at the end of every class, he told us some like gruesome, like first <laughs> right. responder story. <laughs> yeah. And everyone, it was exactly what you're describing. It was like, yeah, 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 we'll learn like basic physics and right. then tell us about the guy that fell off a roof, you know, <laughs> right. and that, exactly. was, that was it. It's <laughs> all some time. kind of hook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that worries me about it, though class sizes are getting so large and yeah. so ungainly that it's a lot harder for me to have those individual experiences. Right. Yeah. right. So I'm not able to have, there's that kid who, if I could just reach out to him and talk to him, we could make a connection. They'd learn more. Maybe they'd be able to tell me if they're having a hard time and they need some, some adult help. Not that my help is necessarily special, but I'm the person available in that moment. Right. But if I have class sizes of 40 now, right. how am I going to be able to build all those relationships with all those kids? And and I, te- and I teach an extra class. class. Sizes of 40, so that's, that's five, kids. except I teach an extra class. So I've got 240. Oh my god! That's and amazing. so, that's how am intense. I going to do? How am I going to make those connections? Right. And then, how am I going to give meaningful assignments that I can grade? Because I have 240 right. papers. Well, and that was that was sort of the thing. And, and uh, this will be our last question because I have to go to a film screening in four minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. Is we talked about this a little bit with your students um, about. How, in fact, in Columbine, there was not, in fact, a failure on the side of the people that right. were supposed to take care of Dylan and Eric. Like, they were sent to the right places. Mm-hmm. They had the right oversee- or over, um, overseeing of their uh, mental state, in Eric's mm-hmm. case. All these things that were happening, these people did what they were supposed to do. Um, but maybe they didn't take the extra step. Maybe they didn't realize they were being conned. Um, 
you have 240 students that yeah. you are interacting with from 8 o'clock in the morning until 2.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. There's not enough time in the day for you to personally get to know the intimate side of each and every student. Yeah. How much can we expect reasonably that a teacher can do in a situation like this where there's a kid that is trouble? Like, how, how much time will you give that kid? Well, I... I'm trying to think of a reasonable give? answer here. So there's the teacher side of it, but then there's the philosophic underpinning that I think right. is that needs to be mentioned, particularly about this book and about things like Rachel's Challenge, which is the Rachel Scott mm -hmm. thing. Um, as a teacher, I can't give every kid time every day, but I can do my best to try and observe those kids and see who needs me today. Right. And then come talk to me. And let them know, like, when you need someone to talk to, I am available to you. I will not always be able to ask you. You can always ask me. Mm -hmm. And I have in my room, in theory, during lunch, I would have time to myself. My room is full of students every single day. There's not a – from 7.15 to 3.30, my room is full of students. Hmm. And they are welcome to come in just to hang out. They're welcome to come in to get tutoring. They're welcome to talk about stories, whatever they want to do. But they are always there. So there's – and there is sometimes very literally a line of kids to talk to me about things going on in their life. Oh, that's cool. Which I'm glad to be there for them. Mm -hmm. It is psychologically exhausting. Right. It's hard to have anything left over when I go home. Right. Um, so I can just try to be available to them, but they have to make it known to me. Right. The, the thing that your question brings to mind, which is at the heart of this book and his conclusion, particularly about Eric, which it, it's comforting and it's damning at once is a kid like Eric at the end of the book seems like an act of God in a way. Right. Of, mm -hmm. He is an inevitable catastrophe. Right. They did everything they were supposed to do. Shit went bad. And that is, in a way, comforting of like, well, we did everything yeah. we were supposed to do, and mm -hmm. it went bad. But that's also despairing of, that means there's nothing I can do because right. right. bad things will occur. Because sometimes there is no why. Like Sometimes right. there is right. no motive. People so you can take that with, with religious faith. You can right. take that with a nihilist view. But how do you come away from that? So then you look at something like Rachel's Challenge, where they are actively sidestepping the conclusion of the book. Right. Right. And they're saying, and I, I'm not against what they're doing. I don't mean this to sound crude, but it is a, a business designed around going to schools and talking to kids about it. Mm -hmm. And the message they're sending is good, but inevitably there's something odd about it. And the message that they give ultimately at the end of that thing is, Tell those around you that you care about them so we can prevent this kind of thing in the future. Right. But this, that's not an accurate premise. You know, and they've tweaked it a little bit because I saw this guy when I was in Colorado, and I, now I saw him just a few weeks ago when I was with that ASB trip. Um, the premise was, you know, we need to make people feel loved while we can. Right. Which I guess is a slightly better message. <laughs> but And I don't mean that cruelly. I, you know, I, I'm not in judgment of a man who but, lost his sister. That's yeah. It's... But it's I mean, outrageous he, and terrible. Here's the thing is that, so, Eric Harris was loved. Right. He still had everything going for him, really. Had like, everything going he for made so notes in the book of, I have yeah. great parents. I feel bad for what they're about to go through. Right. right. So, like, you look at someone like Eric Harris or you look at, like, the, the guy who shot up Vegas. Now, the guy mm -hmm. who shot up Vegas, his parents are criminals, his brother mm -hmm. is a child molester, mm -hmm. all these other things. Well, at the end of the day, they're this, they did the same thing. Right. They killed as many people as they possibly could right. using what they had with them. Yeah. Um, and so how much does how much does love change someone? Not every sociopath kills everyone mm -hmm. that they meet. So there has to be something else, you know. Mm -hmm. There there has not every sociopath might also be a psychopath. 
Um, I want to jump in on this too, Todd, and, and I know you have to go soon, but it's one thing that I feel is like we're just putting so much more on teachers than is fair and mm-hmm. on parents. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all live in the same culture. So it's like we feel like it's the intense one-on-one, relation, like deep love or deep hate relationships that are affecting us, but it's also small everyday interactions, acquaintances. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Which is why I told Jada to make closer friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's just harping on her. But, you know, we we can't ask teachers to continuously be, like, the emotional first responders. Right. And, you know step in line for a bullet and you know if it's not the yeah. teachers it's the parents right. like we're all in this world together as much as jada's mom <laughs> wants it to be just her and jada you know like we're we're all in this and like the vegas shooter the you know i mean i'm not gonna list them all again but like right. we're not just talking about school shootings right. we're talking about all of us being in public spaces together right, right. so you can't just like care bear stare someone into being <laughs> better it's an entire culture yeah. shift that yeah. has to happen well and i think that you that's know, what, was... you know what i was trying to say earlier about this book like rereading this book is that i found like this book in a lot of ways is an anti-school shooting book in the sense that right he's sort of proving that all the theories of school shooting is are bullshit are and wrong. that, that right. eric right. is this like outlier and dylan sort of you know that, that because there's two of them which is also strange and that, and that eric was a psychopath clearly and and i i i think the the more important part of the, the the more relatable part of the book, the book that we can relate to, like contemporary events, is the media response mm-hmm. to this shit, you know, and the way yeah. that right. we all narrativize this, the, the school shootings, at, and we even grouping them together is kind of absurd. Really, all we're talking yeah. about is school is just a vulnerable place. That's all it is. It's a public right. mm-hmm. vulnerable right. place, and that public vulnerable place has been taken advantage of by a oh. bunch of really fucked up kids and sometimes teachers, but mostly kids or, you know, people with a variety of reasons. And so for us to even categorize it as a thing is a little bit of a misplacement of our brain power, I think. You know, like, mm-hmm. in, well, instead we should stop. I mean, I don't have the answer. I just feel like what one of the stories that this book is telling is that we should stop telling the story about school shootings. Yeah. That, that right. we should change that. And every time, well, everything should be taken on its own terms. You know, one thing that I think has changed in a in a really clear way is subsequent to Columbine, the victims of the shootings get the press, yeah. not yes. the shooters and themselves. And that's wonderful. Much so more so, yeah. I, I can't remember the name of the guy who shot up Parkland, and that was, you know, six weeks ago. Right. Um, right. I don't remember the name of the guy who did the Vegas shooting, but I remember Dylan and Eric, and I remember um, Newtown, Lanza. I don't remember anyone else's names. I wonder, though, if that's because of how rapidly these things have followed one another. It's possible. Right. It's and possible. I, I think that to the point brought up earlier about these are buildings that are easily taken advantage of, you're, you're, you're right, certainly, writer. But I think it leads us down an ugly path of, so do we need to fortify schools? Right. No. Right? No, not at all. Well, and, and, and I don't for a moment mean that you mean that. Yeah. But that is definitely a thought that is right. pervasive yeah. now. So then, okay, so the solution is we need to make these things, you know, fortresses, which is equally bad. Oh, God, that would be the death of so much great freedom in our culture. I mean, just basically state. Yeah. Yeah. Sheldon Sheldon Adelson has a school in Las Vegas. Um, It's actually on the street where um, my fake uh, temple is in my book, Mm. uh, in my last book. But anyway, and it's, it's a Jewish school. 
Um, so everyone there is Jews. So, but they have huge, um, like Constantina wire all over everything, yeah. and guards and gun turrets yep. all over. It looks like a prison camp. Yeah. Well, and there's constant new inventions of drop-down bulletproof curtains that create mazes students right. have to run through so you can't shoot down a hallway. It's there's tons of this stuff. Although I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one thing before we go. As much as the attention is, because as the, I don't know, for, for lack of a better phrase, being on the front lines of all these situations, mm-hmm. the, the thing that is most, in, most dangerous I'm seeing as a trend among students these days that no one's talking about is now starting to be in the news with the van attack in Canada of this the nice guy syndrome misogyny thing. Yes. Yeah. One of the, my favorite the, topics on this podcast. It is <laughs> It is so poisonous. And I see far more evidence of that among young men I teach mm-hmm. than of general violence. Right. It's yes. much more of this, oh, but what about me? I get to choose and people not giving agency to young women and right. believing they have agency in their own lives. The, the right. rampant misogyny is the thing that by far scares me most generationally right now. And well, it's, it's the it's, core of the problem. Whenever yeah. people say, it's just amazing. Whenever people are like, there's no common thread. I mean, Todd, you right. said at the yeah. beginning of the podcast, like, right. yes, there is. It's yeah. men and almost, I basically yeah. played domestic violence bingo at this point. I'm like, yeah. do-do-do, who's going <laughs> to report it first? And it's yeah. almost always there. Yeah. yeah the and also, Eric, Eric had it on his checklist, get laid, right? Like, right. constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like part of yeah. the list. Got to get the guns, get the napalm, right. and get laid. It's like, oh my yeah, God, right. why is this even like yeah. part of the equation but he deserved it well, right there was a sense of entitlement oh. right yeah. the entitlement of it is really repulsive yes. so i think just to sum up we're all doomed uh-huh. the only people that are going to save us are jada renaissance and aiden oh, I hope so. um i'm the, working on making the next generation leaders for us i am yeah, actively yeah. Go rob. rob's gonna you. save us. basically rob <laughs> yeah rob is our front line for who's gonna save us in the, our dystopian future i'm God. i'm team aiden jada and renaissance like i will follow those three into battle and by battle awesome. i mean I, i'll watch them you'll do go it. to the voting booth <laughs> yeah i mean i will I don't want to go. No, anywhere. I think that's good. I don't think it's bad. I think going to the voting booth is a fine thing. I mean, I'll wa- I'll, I'll support. I'll give them money. Great. Yeah. You, when the time can you comes, you give me money. I'll give you money. I'm as a well. public school teacher. Yeah. So uh, that's Rob the other Bowman. Thing. All right. Thank you go. so much, Rob, for uh, bringing us these three fantastic students. Yeah. And yeah. Thanks, Rob. This is awesome, book. man. Um, yeah. And just for uh, for teaching literature to young people, I mean, um, the, the three of us obviously grew up with a, a liberal arts education, so we've been reading books our entire lives. Um, I know it's hard doing what you do to get kids to read and get to kids to talk about literature, um, and you're doing a great job. Oh, your thank students, you. I'm happy to. Your students uh, do an honor to your teaching. With all yes. the difficulties of it, I wouldn't do anything else. You're doing, yeah. you're That's doing great to hear. Yeah. the best work on earth. So well, we you. really appreciate it. Nice and, talk to you uh, all. Uh, Get yourself a Kevlar for the next seven years that you're teaching. Thank you. (laughs)